The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hi, I'm Rebecca Lowe, host of NBC's coverage of the Premier League. Welcome along to the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast, where you can get the latest can't-miss content from NBC's coverage of one of the best leagues in the world. Plus, be sure to tune in on weekends at 7 a.m. Eastern for Premier League mornings on NBCSN. But for now, we hope you enjoy the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast. Three points, Carl Martino for <clears throat> Liverpool today, this time against Newcastle. Even though they fell behind, they're just too good to ever really, at the moment, get caught out. Uh, they are, and um, a, a title-winning season is almost like a collection of, of accomplishments and, and proving that you know we, we can see games out that are comfortable. We can break teams down that are compact. Uh, you know, we can we can battle through a tough fixture list. We can play in multiple competitions. We can come back in a game, and they didn't have to prove that a lot last year. And so it's kind of nice to say, all right, if we're here again, they don't hope to be down at Anfield. You know, we, we know what it's like to get calm, play our game, and, and break teams down. And when the top three are that good, it's just the, the belief that if we're sound defensively, which is what it was like last year, th- these guys are going to get us through this. They're going to score. We're going we're gonna to be even. We're going to be balanced. That belief is a compounding thing that I think is greater than it was last year. You can already see it in their, in their personality. And following on from that thread, sometimes going behind that wake-up call, maybe the silver lining from, from going behind is that they are now dealing with every situation and coming through it. Mm, they are. And I've got to say, the attacking play in that second half and the introduction of Roberto Firmino, I mean, he is some player. He is some player with what he does in all aspects of the game, from pressing, from running back, from passing, from assisting, from flicking, from scoring. I mean, just to made a big difference. And I was pleased to see in the second half driving at 2-1, driving, driving, driving for extra goals. They're playing well as well now as they were two years ago. Remember two years ago when they were so great going forward but shaky defensively? Well, this season might be the season that they have the defensive prowess of last season married with full-flowing great attacking football. So five-star uh, after going behind. All five goals today, Carl Martino scored by Chelsea Academy mm. graduates. There's a movement going on. There is, and, and we talked about it. I remember when we were over in England, we did the, the show and we're predicting the season and talked about what we expect in transfers and knew there weren't going to be any for Chelsea and said, in a way, is this a positive thing for Frank Lampard? And I think we all kind of agreed. This is what Chelsea needs. I mean, Chelsea in the youth tournaments and, and England youth national team that gets served really well by Chelsea. Great performances for players that never get the opportunity to show what they can do for Chelsea Football Club and, and Tammy Abraham's showing what he can do. And great credit to Frank Lampard for bringing Mason Mount into the team, for trusting Tommy Abraham when he's got a French international goal scorer from midweek as well. So it's huge for Chelsea. We've talked to for a couple of seasons, Carl, about yeah. the striker situation at Chelsea being the biggest problem stopping them going forward. They might have just got a young kid mm. that's going to come in now with a confidence and bang in 20-odd goals. And part of the Chelsea youth movement is a young manager that's yeah. young in his career, and, and that's big for Frank Lampard. I mean, it, it's, it wasn't getting shaky, but the pressure was going to come, and that's a good one on the road for him. The champions have been beaten for the first time since January of this year. Robbie Musto, what will have kept Pep Guardiola awake last night? 
I think a few things. I think the first thing, uh, probably complacency. I think the team looked a little complacent. I think they thought going to Norwich City with all the injury issues, it was going to be an easy game. I think secondly, a lack of intensity during the game in the second half as well, when they were behind, they didn't look like they really wanted to get back into the match. And I think the early press that City always do, always do a kind of a quick counter press to win the ball back. Norwich City played through that press. I think that shocked them a little bit. And we were like, wow, Norwich are brave enough to play through it. And it worked a few times. So, uh, But the biggest worry is defensively and how they look so vulnerable. All three goals that Norwich scored are definitely avoidable with better defensive organisation, understanding and simple defending. That will be his biggest concern. All the highlights from the game we'll show you very shortly. Do you agree, Carl? I do agree. And last time he had a defensive issue, he was able to buy his way out of it. And it was an issue he knew as the project was moving forward. And that's one of the reasons he spent so much money on fullbacks and a goalkeeper that was a big high profile uh, um, between Joe Hart and Bravo and finally got Ederson. Because the way they play, it's predicated on two things. One is to build out of the back, starting with the goalkeeper. And the other is to, to be 1v1 and have defenders that can mitigate risks so that they can go press, so that they can possess the ball and get in a very attacking posture. And, you know, I'd say that Rodri will come good, but still isn't the Fernandinho yet of being able to handle those situations. Two center backs that with Stones and and Otamendi were not really going to be their first choice. And you highlighted Mm. that, you know, when when his company leaves his leadership, but also his composure and how sound he is. So, he always sits in his little offices to try to figure things out. Right now, he's sitting there and saying, do I play Fernandinho back yeah. there? Do I play Rodri back there? How do I get out of this situation? Because he needs to change it. But surely, Robbie, he shouldn't be in this situation because John Stones right. is a really interesting topic. Right. By now, should John Stones not be a first choice, not a absolutely. second choice who he actually doesn't really a- want to play? Absolutely, if he becomes the player that Pep and a lot of people think he's going to become. But that's not always a given. You know, he's got, we know he's got the, the tools, he's got good pace, he's great on the ball, etc., etc. But decision-making up here is where, at the moment, I question him, whether it's for England national team or whether it's Can for you City as well. Can yes. Difficult to improve it, because it's the your football intelligence, making decisions, deciding where to go with some of his passes. Do I step up, do I, do I, do I track a run? It, it, that's the things that we've got to see and yeah. be consistent. We can find out now. Well, I'd say with Sterling, you have an example of a player that improved his final third right. decision-making. You know, Stones, his defensive third, playing at the back decision yeah. He's got all the qualities, and I think Pep's probably frustrated, saying, you should be a Rolls-Royce out here. I mean, you should be yeah. one of the best centre-backs I've ever had, and he's just not there yet. So, listen, it's one game they lost. They lost four last year. Yeah. We're not going to sort of freak out at this point, but he, he, is, he is staying up at night, as you said. You can hear how excited the Norwich fans are by this victory today. What does it mean to you? Yes, we're absolutely uh, delighted. Uh, of course, it's a great, a great day for us, uh, for our whole club, for the, for the supporters. So Carroll Road is absolutely buzzing and uh, it's a win for our owners, uh, for Delia Michael, because they're so um, kind-hearted persons and we can't ask for better owners. And what about the, the players themselves? You, you've got a, an injury-hit squad. It's been difficult for you in the, in the build-up to this game. You're taking on the champions and you managed to get the win. What about the performance that, that those players who were fit and, and did put themselves on the line for you today? can't praise enough the, the spirit and the mentality of, of my players because it was unbelievably a complicated week. So we had some really decent performances. The, the outcome with points was not perfect. So out of some unlucky situations, uh, if you're really honest. So, But it's quite normal then you're a bit punished in terms of defending and... Uh, Actually, our approach is, is to press the opponent a bit, a bit higher and we worked on a bit different approach because we thought, okay, we have to change a bit our base uh, formation for, for this game. But after all these injuries, so we returned back because I didn't want 
to annoy the, the lads too much and confuse them too much. And um, for that, it was an unbelievable uh, complicated week because we had to work on, on a few tactical things. You always have to uh, have a really good plan against Man City, but also uh, to give them trust and support uh, in the situation where they were down after all these injuries. And uh, yeah, they respond in a perfect way. And uh, for that, it's a brilliant stage for them. Pep, you've looked invincible in this league for some time. But not today. Why do you think that was? Why did the game go the way it did? Well, it was a, a good game. They they arrived uh, three or four times. We conceded back, you know, goals in the first set pieces. Or we knew where they attacked the first post. And uh, and the second one, we didn't make a counter attack. That can happen. But we didn't control the line. And the third one, a mistake. So so when this happened in any competition in that level, so it's more difficult. But uh, in the same times, I know what we are as a team. I know what they have done, what we are going to do again. And uh, and I love my players. I like a lot. So uh, it's a pleasure and honor to to be with them. That is a challenge in a high level. So the people cannot expect every time win or make 100 points, 90 points. Everything means how it's difficult. Everything. And we're going to you know recover, go to Europe now, and come back. We've talked Manchester City. Let's focus on Norwich. Now, later on in our promoted series at three o'clock today, which features Norwich, you'll hear the sporting director at the club, Stuart Webber, say, Kyle, if we fail this season, we're going to fail doing it our way. That was the key yesterday, wasn't it? They were Norwich yesterday. They stuck to it, even against the champions. Not only is it impressive, it, it is so difficult to survive this way. And Just use Fulham as an example last year of a team that started saying, we're going to play the exact same way we played in the championship. We're going to build out of the back. And it was an absolute disaster right from the beginning. And then then they tried to become something they weren't. And then they tried to become defensively sound and play a little bit more direct and and could never really, could never get their identity back. To, To start the Premier League against you know, the, the top six, even first game of the, of the year, I was there on the gantry with Arlo and we were, call, were calling the game against Liverpool. In that second half, they outplayed Liverpool many times. The first 20 minutes of that game, they outplayed. Mm-hmm. To be able, with a depleted squad, let alone with their starting 11 that they, that they trust, be able to play this way in the Premier League is amazing. Sadly, Rebecca, hardly any teams now, particularly the lower ones, will try and have a go at Man City or even try and win the ball back to try and press them. Norwich did both things remarkably well. I mean, to see Man City forwards in their half saying, go on, then try and play out. And the goalkeeper knocks it out to the centre-back. And they try and play it out right from their own goal. It was like, wow, you're going to try and do it. And as I said earlier, they did. They managed to play through that press a few times. Now, City are always going to dominate possession. But the fact that they could do that, and basically they have got bright, very good young players. Wendia Campwell, Jamal Lewis, Ben Godfrey. Very, very good young players, which is the, the sporting director. Mm. Uh, it's said that he wants to trust this season. We hear that you've been staying after training, working on your hold-up play, your long-range shots. It's all paying off. Is this going to be your season? Hopefully, hopefully, God willing. Um, you know, just have to keep working hard, showing the effort that I want it. You know, every training session, every game I play, every chance I get, I just have to take it and grab it with two hands. Tammy Abraham is really looking the part. He is. He is, and uh, that's work. That's work. He's been out on, on, on loan, scored a lot of goals in the Championship, had a year in the Premier League, and now I think he feels the responsibility of the Chelsea shirt, as he should, and the number nine. Um, and the last three games speak for themselves. And now the only challenge now for Tammy is can you keep doing it? Can you get better and better? Because the way he's playing, he's a huge threat for us up front. He has competition from within with uh, Giroud and Batshuayi, so he needs to, to keep at that level and get even better. 
Some of your senior players are great today, but the young ones are certainly making the most of the opportunities. Yeah, they are. They are, and I'm delighted to see that because it's not easy. You know, you talk about Tomori, uh, great season in the championship last year individually for him, um, but this is a step up, and he's absolutely taken to it and, and gets his incredible goal there for him today, which will be a, a huge memory for him going forward. But yeah, Tammy, uh, Mason, um, we you know we've got players that are injured. We've got Ruben injured. We've got Callum injured. We've got Reese James injured. So the young players, it's, I think it's time they deserve their chances, and they need to keep improving. But yeah. As you touched on, the balance is important for me. I thought William was fantastic today in, uh, in his first game back and he's gained his fitness again now. So if we can keep moving forward with the young players and get the balance right, then we'll be OK. Young players, how about this? Chelsea's 11 goals this season have all been scored by academy graduates. Before this season, just 16 of their previous 424 goals had been <laughs> scored by academy graduates. That was Loftus-Cheek and John Terry, those 16. So... That is an incredible statistic. Just sum up, if you can, the difference between Chelsea of the last 15 years and Chelsea today. Well, so much different in terms of the experience of the players and a manager. It's very different for Chelsea to go for a manager like this, a young manager that's got, we were worried, worried about, about lack of experience a little bit. But I've got to say, the more weeks go by and the more we hear him talk, he's looking the part. And he's making big calls, Rebecca, of picking some of these younger players against some of the more experienced players that would expect to be in the side. So we knew there would be a, a transition. And Chelsea have taken a lot of criticism, Carl, mm. about young players. Chelsea bring them through, they buy some, they develop them, then they send them out on loan. Well, I tell you what, they're not bad at developing young players. And now we're seeing them in the first team. It's like, well, they've got a good academy. And we should give, respect that academy more than criticising them for sending people out on loan. It's a good business they've got there. Yeah, and I thought the interesting thing when we all sat down with Frank Lampard is I asked him a question about the history in, in the past. He said, it'd be a mistake if I thought I could re recreate that. And he's doing it through youth. And in, in a way, the transfer ban, and the irony is, it, it's about acquiring uh, uh, young players in a way that, that got them this ban and going about it a way that's uh, breaking some rules. It, it actually set them up in a beautiful scenario to play these young players and mm -hmm. actually switch Chelsea's paradigm so they can trust this youth and develop them. Who knows? Could be one of the best things that ever happened yeah. to the club. Well, Jürgen, it's a perfect run. Five wins out of five in the Premier League. What did you make of the performance? Oh, again, really a tough job to do and um, I think we needed kind of 20 minutes, 25 maybe, to really arrive in the game and... Um, and so the, the first 25 minutes were exactly like we expected. If we, if we don't um, decide or set the tempo, because we played their tempo what they wanted us to play, we passed around, but we didn't come, we didn't um, had really opportunities in the box, around the box. We had crosses, stuff like that, but just on top of what we wanted to do. They scored a goal, which was a wonderful goal, obviously. Um, that was a big threat always, because they do that. Juliton coming, the two quick boys <laughs> in behind. So that's, um, and this in this case, then even Williams um, in behind. So they could score that goal. It was a wonderful finish. And yeah, then we started. And it was like, I mean, we changed the rhythm. It was immediately much better. And then we deserved, of course, the three points. Played good football, had wonderful situations. Really, I liked a lot. I think in the first, second half, we were like four times um, in one, one situation with a goalie. Could have scored more, but it's all good. Um, it would, we don't care if it uh, should not be high or whatever. It's all good. So, really happy. It was tough um, with two days, how it always is then. You saw it, but we talk about it. You don't want to have that then, that we have to find a rhythm. But that's the main challenge after international break. Then when we had it, it was really good.
We'll have a look at the table later, but right now Liverpool are five points clear at the top, which is the biggest lead ever at this stage of a Premier League season. It is early, of course, but what's Klopp most pleased about, do you think? I think the consistency of performance. I remember watching them at times last year, and it was probably the middle of the season, that they were able to scrape through some games and get some results, but didn't maintain levels. And I remember Jordan Henderson said that to us when we were over there. Uh, at the training ground before the season started. And we asked him, you know, how do you improve upon last year? I mean, it was a magical season where one of the best in their history. And he said, it's just tr- trying to keep the levels high every single game, which right. is so hard over right. 38 games. And performance levels. And that he means the attacking play. Because it wasn't always great last year. We sort of said, like, the season before was better. Mm. Now, the thing, the, the, how it can get better is by attacking better more consistently. And I know that it didn't start with Firmino and they were a little bit slow starting, as, as uh, Manager Klopp said. But the, just seeing them going at free-flowing and going forward, so, so impressive. And, and three front players with Firmino in that very rarely get injured. That's, that's good. We are going to discuss the impact of VAR and beginning, gentlemen, with the fact that Mike Riley, the head of the PGMOL, the professional game match officials, this week apologised for four mistakes. He said this, out of the four match rounds so far this season, there have been some really good examples where we've intervened. There have been six incidents where VAR has advised the referee and we've got a better decision as a result. There were four incidents where VAR didn't intervene and had they done, we would have had a better understanding of the role VAR plays in the game. The mistakes are all about the judgment of VAR and the process that we adopt. These are examples where VAR could have had a better benefit and intervened to help the referee on the day. We are trying not to disrupt, this is key, the flow of the game, but on these occasions, these four occasions, which we're about to show you, the judgment should have been that it was a clear and obvious error by the referee. Let's take a look, first of all, chaps, at those four incidents. Kyle, the first one in the Bournemouth-Man City game, the penalty claim when Lerma steps on David Silva's foot. Yeah, this ends up being, of course, when you're talking about is it a foul or not becomes a subjective decision. But, but I think Robbie and I and Earl as well say, listen, when you, when you stamp on someone's foot right there, it, it's pretty straightforward. And we all know how difficult it is to maintain your, your momentum. That's a foul, and it should have been reversed, and they're saying they should have. Yeah, I, mean, I think these examples, um, I'm going to agree with all of them, and I agree that they should have been turned over. And, I, and uh, you know, we see this one here. Again, this for me is a clear and obvious error by not awarding a penalty here. There, I mean, the referee's in a good spot to be fair as well, and there's definite contact. Allard does really well, good feet. Just watch the right leg coming from the defending player there. That's a foul. I mean, that's kind of clear. That is a mistake. So thankfully, you know, Mike Riley now with saying these mistakes, you know, it's, it makes us feel a little bit better, Carl, that yeah, that, that should have been called. Well, again, both of those we've just seen a penalty claim, so therefore they are subjective, and the VAR is a human being, we must remember. Leicester 3, Bournemouth 1 in this game, a potential red card. What did we think, Carl, about the Yuri Tillemans incident uh, on Callum Wilson? Yeah, I mean, this, this one I, I just have a tough time with because I, I, the, the video tells a different story than the live game does. And you have to remember the baseline is what a referee thinks and feels based on the game. This is a movement, you know, and I've done this movement before where you're trying to shield the ball. He's trying to plant the foot so he can shield the ball. And it, and it looks like, in slow motion, 
that that's a really violent act where he goes over the ball. So it's just like this becomes the tough line of subjectivity, and we'll get to that in a second, about where you set the bar to re-referee the game. Now, this one was about the, the handball and the build-up to a goal. Yeah, and we know this rule, it's a new rule. Um, we hate the rule. We don't like the rule. But, <laughs> but this but, is yeah. far working. This was missed. If they get it. Yeah, this, this was missed. And they admitted to this at the time, actually, because we asked the question. There, it just flicks off his hand, which goes right to. There's no debate. Shot. I mean, this is yeah. the, this is straightforward. This is the easiest yeah. of the group. Yeah. I think it's important to say that it's always good to get the apologies to understand what VAR, what the referees are doing, and to understand that they are again just another line of human beings, and they are going to make mistakes. Is the biggest thing, Robbie, that we have learned so far from the inclusion of VAR in the Premier League? that the high bar they're setting, the fact that from that quote that Mike Riley said, we are doing everything not to disrupt the flow, mm. they really do not want to intervene. They really do not want to turn over a decision. So much so that the bar they're setting is incredibly Mount Everest high. Yes, but they've corrected that, Rebecca. So by admitting to those errors, OK, it's not as high as we thought then. Well, yes, but then we've mistakes. seen a couple of incidents over the weekend. Right. Um, and actually, there was one, the Martial penalty. Yeah. But L- let's show these, yeah, okay. because the, these are others. The, the first one we're going to see here, Carl, and we, we strongly feel this should have been included in Mike Riley's mistakes. This, again, wasn't called. Nothing was called there. That, that for me, I, I was shocked that that wasn't overturned or a penalty wasn't allowed. We see here, not a, got a great angle on that, the referee. And the VR, of course, can go back and look at it many times. So that's one that still has me scratching my head and should have been added, in my opinion, to the other four. Yesterday, there was a penalty claim for Liverpool. Um, Lascelles on Martin. Now, this is an incredibly high bar, isn't it? So here's, here, finally, we're getting to the crux of the issue. Um, this is, this is a, a blatant penalty. The, the, the hold keeps him from attacking a ball that probably is a goal. This is a foul. If you go back a couple seasons ago, they were calling all of these, and they had a, a league-wide initiative to make sure there wasn't any holding in the box on, on, on penalties. Here, here is now getting to, and I think the context is really important. Um, let's start with the good. Their high bar is the right approach. It's the right approach to say, let's not get involved in everything. Let's not have the referee go over to the side of the field and, and, and spend the time in what should take a little amount of time to judge. So, so we, I think we agree. We love yeah. that as a protocol, saying right. set the bar pretty, really high. The problem is now you need to calibrate everyone to understand where is the level of that bar. And, and when, you sh- when you say that that Aller, and I'll take that one, the Aller penalty was a mistake. You should have called it. As a player, in all the situations I've been in, all the, all the calls I've seen, all, the, all the, the times I've gotten a penalty or not, I look at the Aller penalty and say, that's not, that's not as clear a penalty as the Martial penalty. And they, they didn't say Martial was a mistake. So it means I don't understand, based on, on, on my Rolodex of information that I'm trying to then judge what they're doing, I don't understand the valuation that that bar is at. Because if you say the Aller thing was a mistake, you just lowered the bar. If you say that Martial wasn't a mistake, well, then that's a really high but, but bar. I, so think, I think we got to also cut. And we spoke to the PGMOL just quickly about the Martip yesterday, and they said they wouldn't have intervened. They agreed with the on-field uh, then, rep. Then that's the, the very highest high bar again. that you could possibly set. And so the, the, that's in Congress. There's something broken when the valuation of one play is so different than the valuation of another play. And then we get to the point of, 
How do they judge these things? I mean, we, we need to understand why. Not that it's not enough for them, but why is dragging someone down and holding mm. them, th- that's not enough for them? It is, of course, it's vitally important for us to, to get on the same wavelength here. But also the viewers at home, they need to see a game of football and see an incident and think, that should be overturned in what they feel should be, and we see it. At the moment, there, there's a, a disconnect about what we, and probably the viewers, are thinking is a, is a clear and obvious error. I, 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 the Air one, again, there's going to be a bit of subjectivity difference between us two. I thought that was a clear error. Carl didn't think it was that strong. So there's going to be a little bit of that. But the, the Martial one and the Matip one, I'm like, wow, okay. I, I, I like the fact that they, that they corrected the errors. So we reprogram ourselves. Okay, we thought that was really harsh, and they've admitted it, but that it wasn't turned but around. Here's, it, but there's still a couple that we've shown there that I'm like, ooh, I think this should have been done as well. But based on that logic, here's <clears> the thing. <throat> you and I slightly disagree on the Aller one, meaning the bar should be above that. We, we shouldn't lower it to reverse those if we have a disagreement. We, we agree on the Martial one. And they don't think that that was a mistake. Yeah. So we're, we, we are backwards to how they're judging things. And, and the guy, the whole point of this is that we're talking about something that's subjective. Right. Is the problem here, first of all, the, wherever the bar is, it's impossible to pinpoint because that's a vague term. We're setting the bar really high. Mm. Well, no one, you can't say we're setting it at a certain point because it's impossible to say that in football, as you were saying, because we don't know. Is not the problem here. VAR is so often perceived as technology. It's not always technology. Goal line technology, yes, that's technology. Other than that, it's another human being, just another line of subjectivity. So rather than the blame going now to the on-field ref, it's going towards VAR. How do we expect it to work if it's simply another human being who has a different idea? Therefore, what's the point? Well, up, to, up to the mistake situation where they can't explain that, then it's like, well, what, what's the point of VAR? If these errors are not going to get reversed by, by somebody else looking at, having the advantage of looking at the angles. Now they've admitted to those mistakes. I'm, I'm like, okay, because we thought, wow, that should have been turned over and they're admitting it now. There's a couple that we talked about that we still don't quite understand it, but at least by Mike Riley coming out and explaining that we should have turned those over, that we can say, oh, okay, because that's what we feel. There's no point in having the system if, if the errors that, are, again, we feel are clear are not, are not changed. There's no point in having the system. And, and I think that's the problem, is we, and I've said this every time we talk about VAR. Listen, the Premier League, I think, is getting VAR, uh, they're, they're closer to getting it right and doing it better than most people that have done it before. Listen, everyone's kind of complained about VAR, so the, it's never going to be a, a panacea, a perfect solution. But my problem is... I, now I look at this situation, I think, what is the result of how it changes behavior? Because referees, I think, when it's a penalty in the box and they're not entirely sure, are waiting for VAR to back them up. Because they're thinking, you know, I can't get a great look at this, so, so these guys are going to help me. Now that they know they're not, finally they said, okay, we got a mistake. But if I'm a referee and I say, okay, the Martial isn't a penalty, but the Aller one is, as a referee, I'd be very confused in terms of what should I be calling? We should call it as he sees it on the day. On. He, should, he, should, he should call it how he sees but it in that day. That, that I, mean, I don't listen, think that they've told got the ability to, blow to, the whistle. to switch. They're told not to blow the whistle on a goal-scoring opportunity and let it play out so that VAR can help them. So they are literally told two things. The on-field referee is, is told to hold the whistle on a goal-scoring opportunity. So they are waiting to call, right? The other thing they're told is, listen you're allowed to, but we're going to try to not have you go over to the side and look at a video ever. And it's like those two things change how a referee referees a game. 
I don't, I don't, I don't think. I think the timing of the holding that the whistle does, but he still believes what he sees. And if he doesn't blow the whistle, then he still no, believes he that he shouldn't it. change. No, so, his... so if he thinks there's a penalty, or he thinks there's a handball, or, or something, or even offside, if it's a goal-scoring opportunity, they're told don't yes. miss the call on the field. Meaning, leave that to, to VAR. If they can't be confident that those guys are backing up the, up the decision. It's the on-field referee that's getting all because the criticism the for not making the right call. Yesterday, for, I think it was Andre Mariner for the Liverpool situation, you're going to go home afterwards, are you not, Robbie? Watch back the Martip and think, oh, thanks, mate. My referee my back of, at VAR, yeah. Premier League match centre. You could have told me that was a yeah, penalty. Yeah, because they can't now- see, especially on set pieces. Set pieces is the hardest thing to judge because mm. there's bodies flying all over the place. Mm. That's where VAR should be really helpful is when someone gets dragged down in the box. I hope the referees, they're back the when they're doing VAR. the VAR, part of this and not thinking like as a group let, let's protect each other let, let's trust each other let's not kind of let, highlight mistakes that you're making I hope that's not happening because that's not how it's meant to work it, that was a, that I mean, for me was a clear I'm, error again and it was Mike I'm, Dean was a VAR and he let it go I'm really impressed they came out and it takes a lot to say we mm-hmm. got it wrong mm-hmm. the problem is now they've now they've set expectations on how they're going to judge things moving forward it's going to make it tough final word one word please are we still on the right track with VAR Yes. Yes. <laughs> he says through gritted teeth. Carl for Bournemouth, what did you like most about Eddie Howe's team today? Uh, just the commitment to the game plan, the intensity, and, and they dropped off a little bit in the second half, didn't have as much of the ball, and actually were more dangerous in that they created fewer chances, but obviously got the goals to give them a comfortable win. And, and I just... I think with, with Eddie Howe's group, defensive stability, that's the thing that we've been waiting for today. Is, and again, in the second half, they faced a lot of crosses. They had to close down space. They had to shift. They let Everton have the ball and just really never looked uncomfortable. And that's the thing we've been waiting to come along for Eddie Howe's group. So with some injuries, some guys returning, as in Cook, who had a good get, uh, game today, Callum Wilson getting in the goals again. I mean, it's just a really positive day for Bournemouth and Eddie Howe. Just, just a quick thing to add on Bournemouth, Rebecca. You've got to admire Bournemouth's ability to bounce back. They, they have to do that a lot. Two tough losses, Man City and Leicester City, and he's brought them back again. It happens a lot with Bournemouth because they win some games, they have some bad losses, but the, the team and the group are still with the manager. that they, they recover and get good results again. Everton have to do that a lot as well because they're inconsistent, but expectations are higher for Everton. And the fans, I mean, you said the word frustrated. If you're an Everton fan, you must feel like it's one step forward, two steps yeah. back, over and over again. Defensive worries would be the biggest thing for today. We talk a lot about Everton going forward in attack. Who should play on the left-hand side? Is it Bernard? Is it Awobi now? Who's going to play up front? Is it Calvert-Lewin? Is it, is it Moyes Keane? Defensively, didn't deal with the, sort, the set-piece corner for the first goal, and the, we just analysed the third goal there. Two centre-backs out of position. So, Andy Townsend said it best in commentary. More questions and answers again with Everton about who the best team is and, and who are they as a side. Lee Dixon at the end there said, I literally cannot believe what I am seeing. What's your reaction to what happened today? He's absolutely right. I found myself nodding my head every time he opened his mouth. The, the shape under pressure of Arsenal and the game management in that second half, I even I, I felt it at half-time. I said at half-time, defensively, they've got to make sure they're right. You... Lee Dixon's main frustration was that there was no defensive shape, uh, responsibility, communication about trying to thwart, trying to stop the, the flow of the game, which was Watford on the front foot all the time. Arsenal couldn't get out of their half, which wasn't helped by trying to play out from the back right from their goal line, which never worked and gave them Watford their first goal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just astonishing to me how when something looks like it's going the wrong way, that there was no answers in terms of... Uh, the manager, figuring out how to stop it 
and how to be more durable and strong structurally. Second half, Carl, we just got the numbers through. In the second half, Watford had 23 shots at goal. <laughs> and, and, and Arsenal had four. Yeah. So I, it's, it's, they look so good going forward. In the second half, we have a big tactical camera right here. I'm looking at Arsenal defensively. Before Ozil went off, you had the two strikers, Aubameyang and Pepe and Ozil. Like this up front, three of them looking back at their team trying to defend. You had young players come into the field of play that didn't really fill the correct holes. Lee Dixon said one time that David Luiz, the shot that came off his head, I mean, was it Decore's shot from like 20 yards with no red shirts around? Lee Dixon's right. Like, where is everybody? So the communication, the shape, the, the, the durability that I, all, I know that good teams need. Arsenal showed nothing in the second half of being able to defend a two-goal need. It's not as though they'd play in Barcelona. It looked like they were getting dragged around by Barcelona. It was Watford. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the thing I was thinking. They looked out of their league in the second half. I mean, that's, that's quite remarkable, and I think that's what Lee means. I, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Arsenal Football Club out of their league against, against Watford. And no disrespect to Watford, who... who it was a totally different team. It's the, you know, the cliche, a tale of two halves. I mean, this game fully encapsulates that. Where I've, I can't remember I saw such a, a larger disparity between two half performances. I think of the Manchester Derby where Manchester United got thrashed the first half and came back and won that game, uh, you know, a season or so ago. And I just, this wasn't a lack of a, a strong defensive spine in terms of personnel for Arsenal, the things that we've talked about with transfer windows and whatnot. The worrying thing was uh, they were underwater in the second half. I mean, that was just... No clue of how to play, and it was the Liverpool game. They played a 4-4-2 diamond that, that didn't work, and, and Emery had no idea how to change it and prove the game. What's worrying is we're past the Arsene Wenger era now. And, and this isn't like Sir Alex Ferguson. Sir Alex Ferguson left winning a title. There was, a, there was nearly a decade of stagnation and, and, and downward spiral with Arsenal where they've spent enough money. It's been long enough where they can't have performances like that. I mean, that, that, that was players just walking around for Just as an example, half. I think Lee said it in commentary as well. They could have totally had a, had a back four and then played five across. Look, listen, we're having a bit of a nightmare here, a bit of a problem. Five across the middle of the park to protect that back four. Okay, then try and break us down. But there was no sign of that. It was all over the place. And, and I remember Lee said it when, when um, Louise got beat one time. I remember watching Lee's Arsenal side. I, I remember the, the Adams, the Campbells, and, and, and the Vieiras, and some of these players that would have never, ever put up with, with two minutes of play like that. I mean, I, you know, I think of Roy Keane with Manchester. And I remember sitting at home saying, man, I would never walk around a field with those guys around. And it's just no one, there was no accountability. There was no player that grabbed anyone to say, you're wearing Arsenal, wear Arsenal Football Club's badge. You can't come out here and perform like this. It's, yes, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy to see them performing like this so far after things should have improved. And they've got enough quality to have won that game pretty easily 2-0. So the question mark falls to Unai Emery, doesn't it? He's the one who's putting out the team. He's the one who's not changing it and not not making those switches, whether it's against Arsenal or today. Yeah, because it's happened a couple of times now mm. where he hasn't fixed something that we're all seeing. OK, there, there is tactical switches that you can make. I mean, the, the lineup today was attack-minded first half. They got on the ball and it was a really lovely football going forward. But as soon as you sort of sense in the second half, wow, this is, we're struggling to get out here. OK, you kind of go into a different mode, a plan B, if you like, and, and just try and shore it up and find a way. Instead of trying to fiddle out from the back, you know, and give the opponents opportunity mm. to press and, and gain the territory that they want to attack. But, but the players, listen, you, you, it's inexcusable that effort is not at a certain level. I mean, we can talk about tactics and formations and players they should have bought or didn't. 
the, the effort was nowhere near the requisite level to perform and compete. And the Premier League have to earn the right to go to go win that game. Back to Arnold and Lee at Vicarage Road. Chaps, I think you heard Carl and Robbie talk about Arsenal at the end of the game there after what Lee had said, certainly in the closing stages. Get the sense Lee's probably got a few other things he'd like to get off his chest. Well, I think so. And what I want to know from you, Lee, is we're a season and five games in the, in the Premier League into Unai Emery's reign. What are Arsenal under him right now? Um, a force going forward with the strikers they've got. And other than that, I don't know. I, I, that's the worst performance without a ball that I've seen for many a year. And I go back to Arsene Wenger's time. I, they were atrocious today, second half. The, the organisation is not difficult to keep players organised. You organise it on the pitch. If you haven't got any leaders on the pitch, and we talked about in commentary about when things were happening, I could see nobody ta- you know, organising things, telling people what to do. If that's not going on on the pitch, then the manager has to take control. Sometimes you've got leaders on the pitch, you can let them organise stuff and sort things out. It's plainly obvious this Arsenal side haven't got any of those players, so the manager has to do that. Now, if the manager's not doing it and can't see that a narrow midfield and you're getting hurt down the size and change it, and then make a substitution and keep Urzel on at 2-1 when he's still the, th- the front three as soon as, they, as soon as they lose a ball they might as well take him off the pitch because they don't do anything they just stand there and watch as Robbie Musto said and we said in commentary you're just watching things going, going ahead so that you have to make sure that that doesn't happen from a manager's point of view you change your tactics put five across the mid- midfield you stop you stop the bleeding mm. when it's happening it's pretty they're not playing as this, Robbie said not playing Bar- Barcelona or Brazil they're playing Watford that was an easy team to stop they were coming down the side Dillafeo had a day out Maitland-Niles couldn't deal with him so sort that out Luis never said a thing the whole game so that's wrong that's got to be sorted out if he doesn't sort it out they might win a cup might get to a semi-final they'll finish 6th or 7th at the moment not good enough without the ball and how many times have I said that for the last 4 or 5 years terrible without the ball and what's going on in these goal kicks they're not accountable mm. they should be fined for that mm. for playing like that if he wants them to play like that and keep playing and making mistakes fine finish 7th finish 8th not good enough for an Arsenal football club I'm going to sit you down you have a nice cup of tea <laughs> and calm down and in the meantime we'll hear from the man himself Unai Emery what happened in the second half? good evening uh, really they push it uh, as uh, we was waiting because uh, what for uh, last last year was playing like today, and really with uh, the good result in the first half, uh, we we were speaking about the second half. We need uh, to score the third because also they can score in one moment, and with uh, their capacity pushing with the supporter can come back in the in the second half, and happened that. The key was the second half, uh, the capacity to break their pressing, the capacity to, the, in the duel, take the second action, and the capacity to score the first goal. But uh, really, the second half we didn't do, but uh, at the beginning, because they push it, and because they are working, because also they are physically very stunting. Watford were pressing, but could your players have done a little bit more? Did they lose control a little bit with too many mistakes? Yes, they push for our mistakes. And really, they were playing for our mistakes. But also, when we were trying to break the line, we can have some uh, chances uh, attacking third. And also, we were uh, doing long ball for, and and taking the second the second uh, ball. They were very strong. 
and uh, I think they won the second half in the touch two direction. And my summary after that match is uh, not good good point, but really with two nil we were the first half thinking we we can win, but the second half they deserve that result and also we need to continue working doing our way with uh, also with uh, some young players they play the second half and and also giving them uh, chances to take confidence to take uh, lead in the in, in this competition and uh, today really is uh, thankful thank uh, for uh, they they work uh, to 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 what for do you def- know uh, thank you uh, congratulations sorry do do defensive errors concern you? Is there something you can do to stop these these mistakes in defence? No, we want to to re up like we were doing this the first half, like we we were doing in in our in idea. But really, uh, when we wanted to ch- to change with the long ball, also we lost the ball, and we need to take confidence. We need also to play with. That's personality, but also uh, taking confidence and, and doing well that way. But uh, the summary is we need continuing working. That point is not good, but uh, it's our way. And, and uh, today uh, we can speak about the two moments in our, in our 90 minutes. One is good in the first half, very bad in the second half. And uh, really continuing working and improving our things. Thanks, Ina. Thank you. Thank you. Good in the first half, very bad in the second half. A couple more stats to throw at you. Nine clean sheets under Unai Emery in 43 Premier League games. Conceded 51 goals last season. Why did he not strengthen the defence more in the summer? And why is there still no leader at a football club that hasn't had a leader arguably in a decade, Kyle? Well, I mean, for the first time um, in nearly two decades... We can't be critical of the manager for not changing the squad with money in the summer. It's not really his call anymore. I mean, he can ask for reinforcements, but there's a group now at Arsenal Football Club that replaced Arsene Wenger that did several of these things by himself. And so whether he asked for players and didn't get it or not, the the fact is he's left with what he has. But but I just want to get past that for this. The problem isn't that they didn't buy a couple center backs, a defensive midfielder, a goalkeeper, any of that. The the problem was lack of motivation, lack of understanding in terms of what they were trying to do and execute. And then when that didn't work, a lack of adjustment. And, And we've seen that too often with Emery. I mean, he's been there long enough that he should know his best side and how they should play against certain oppositions. One of the qualities that they loved when they brought him here was meticulous attention to detail and prepping for teams. And it's hard to see when he watches the game. It's almost like he commits to something and then crosses his fingers that it's going to work through 90 minutes and he'll make his three subs that are like-for-like changes. He very rarely in game changes tactics. Listen, losing the ball building on the back, Pep Guardiola's team the first season had a nightmare with that. And, and listen, the other day, Otamendi gave the ball away. That happens, but, but not seeing any adjustment or any right. urgency of the team is right. really, really scary. I, I, and I think that's the key point here. Adjusting to what you're seeing. In the interview there, Rebecca, he still talked about, you know, second half, we couldn't pass between the lines. Basically, he couldn't play through the press but they're going to keep working on it. So they're going to keep trying doing it. And we've got a great example in this game, particularly in the second half, of trying to do the same thing that wasn't working. Playing out from the back, from the goalkeeper. Playing out from the back. Now, even in the first half, Carl, we saw, and we've seen this before from Arsenal, but I, I guess the point is, when you're 2-0 up, you don't, do you need to risk this kind of situation? That's in the 35th minute. 
Um, they're in control of the game. Second half, Carl, we see it again here where they get themselves into trouble, inviting the pressure by trying to play out from the back. Well, in, in, a, in a strange way, they were they, every time they tried to play Watford out of the game, they played them right back into right. it. These are moments, and, and even Pep, who, whether it's got, getting angry with John Stones or even Emerson sometimes, even Pep, I remember him saying, sometimes you've got to go direct. I mean, you know, just boot the ball down the field is not what I'm asking for. But how many times have you seen Emerson pick his head up and say, the short option's not yeah. on, I'm going to skip this first line of pressure. Watford were really struggling, and it's clear they didn't make a big tactical adjustment. It's clear Kike Sanchez-Forward said, not good enough in terms of the intensity. And we said it in the first half. They sat back, they were looking to counter, it wasn't working. Second half, they said, listen, let's just go out there and press our way back into this game. And that simple strategy of increasing and, yeah. and raising the line of confrontation got them back into enough. the game. Yeah. You're losing faith in him? A little bit. A little bit. I mean, he's got some really good players going forward, and the system kind of worked in the first half. But the lack of adjusting, we saw it before in the Liverpool game, has got to be a concern. And it comes back to the same old thing that we saw last year with Arsenal, team balance. Team balance. Attacking players and defensive and, and structure and defensive players. Sometimes it's okay to have attacking players, but ask them do, to do something defensively responsible to help the team. The team defence, I'd say, is, is the biggest concern. Team defending. We've heard from Unai Emery. Here is the Arsenal captain, Granit Xhaka. What was so bad, do you think, about the second half performance? What was wrong? Everything from the first, second, in the uh, second half... Until the last, uh, we didn't play our game anymore. Uh, we were scared. We know they will come. They will push us uh, more than the second, uh, first half. But in this uh, position, we have to show more um, character. More um, we have to play. We have not to be scared. And yeah, we have to go now with a two-two at home. That's very honest of you. But does it hurt to stand here and say that that you didn't have the character and you were scared as a team? We, di- we didn't have the character anymore, like the, fir- the second, uh, first half. This is the character, what I mean. We were too scared in the second half. Um, they pushed us more than the first half. Okay, all right. We know that in the dressing room. We, sp- we spoke about it. But you can't um, performance uh, or give a performance like this in the second half. Also, do you think that you'll have to rethink the way you play goal kicks. You're one of the players who often receives the ball, but too often you're getting into trouble. Watford smelt it. They told us in the first half. They thought you were nervous around goal kicks, and that's where they got their first goal from. Yeah, we trained this one. Um, we work for this. Um, of course, mistakes are here, but um, it's not an excuse. Um, next time, we have to do better. Um, we have to analyze uh, the mistakes. We have to analyze the kickoff, and after um, we will see and we will look for, uh, forward. Don't often hear footballers say you're scared. What do you think he meant, Carl, by that second half? Well, I mean, he, he he's, he's saying that the mistakes come from a timidity that comes from being worried of making a mistake. And so a lot of times when, when you have a team that you're asking to play a certain way, and by the way, th- this qualifies for the Manchester City group that have all these world-class players, you know, the, the closer you try to play with the ball to your own goal, the scarier it is because the, the risk is very, very high. So that's why amazing teams, you know, the Barcelonas and others, that's why some don't even bother pressing them because they know they're so composed with that risk. It, they treat it the same as the midfield and higher up because they're so calm on the ball, they're so organized, and they know when to not take that risk. And so I think ultimately he's saying we worked on this. And, and we're not strong enough as a group to, to accomplish it. Or, or we're not going to change. 
We're not going to change. He said it worked in the first half. We didn't do the same thing in the second half. A little bit like the manager said there, Rebecca, where it's like, we train this. This is what we do. We've got to get better. We can't be scared. We've got to try and find a way to pass through. My point, I think Lee Dixon's point was, sometimes, by you the way, change. you have to change. I've been there. I've watched teams. When we press, press, press some of the best sides, when we have a good moment when the fans are behind us, and they're, and they're like, they think it over us. They, they clip it over us, and we, oh. we turn, we have to run all the way back again. So the, from, from the two bits of interviews there from the Arsenal side, they want to play out the back better. No matter what you're doing, no matter what the press is or how high energy they've got, we've got to not be scared and find a way to pass through. Wow, good luck. I mean, that's tough to do that in every game, particularly away from home. David De Gea, the goalkeeper for Manchester United, going to stick with the club until at least 2023. Robbie, your reaction to the news? Great news. Great news for United fans. Great news for the manager. It seems to have taken forever to get to this point. There was reports a few weeks ago that the, the contract had been agreed, but he wasn't signing it. Was he delaying? Was he going to stay? Did he want to leave? Um, so it's a big relief. I mean, $450,000 a week is an incredible amount of money for him. But he is that good. He's a great goalkeeper. Not at his best. Maybe the second half of last season, he made a few mistakes on the, on the trot that we talked about. But in general, he has been magnificent. And that is some contract. <laughs> well, with the contract, what they, listen, that's a lot of money. And, and I, I think you're saying he's worth it. It is a sort of wow, eye-watering sum. You have, to, you have to remember what it costs to acquire a great goalkeeper these days. I mean, look at Allison and, and Keppa and... And Ederson, I mean, you, you could spend upwards to $100 million going and getting a young goalkeeper in the market. I mean, this is a proven Premier League goalkeeper that's been their player of the year almost every other mm. season. And so they just had to make sure they signed him up. And for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, where he's as other players kind of contemplating their future, and Paul Pogba being the most high-profile one, it does say something to the locker room that, okay, if De Gea is going to commit to this group, it might not make their mind up, but it's definitely a data point that says, okay, well, maybe there's something here we should commit to. They're building around youth. But, but you need veterans to stick around in order f- for the youth to take time to really set in. So it, it's a great announcement for the club. And don't forget, four seasons ago, there was a fax machine that started all of this. I mean, they, they almost lost him, but the, but the transfer didn't go through. And so he didn't get his move to Real Madrid. He's Manchester United for now, for a while maybe. Technology can be finicky like that sometimes. <laughs> you mentioned the, the struggles that he had at times last yeah. year. And there may have been moments last year where some Manchester United fans thought, is he really the guy moving forward? That doesn't worry you, the form that we saw from no, him at times no, last year. No, it, it, it doesn't. I mean, it, I think we said at the time, this is so... Well, in fact, the first time that we talked about David De Gea with a, a lack of confidence because it was there for a few games. But he has started well this season. Um, he's that good. I mean, we could... I guess we could argue, Carl, who's the best goalkeeper at Man United over the period of time. Um, so I still think Peter Schmeichel... Great shot stopper as De Gea, but he just added a little bit more, more personality. He was a real leader. He was dominant. He was streaming at players. He had this trademark kind of rush out where he spread himself, where he, he stopped so many goals that way. So I would just pick Peter Schmeichel. I mean, you? You, they couldn't be more different, could they? Oh. I mean, De Gea kind of looks like Schmeichel's skeleton. But, um, <laughs> you know, De Gea is probably one of the most technical goalkeepers on the planet in terms of positioning his, his, his coverage, how far across the goal he can get. He his actually feet. has a very unique ability to save, yeah. not only play the ball with his feet, but save the ball with his feet. Yeah. Kind of unconventional. So, listen, it's a good problem for Manchester United to have over, over such long time periods to have two of the best goalkeepers mm. the Premier League scene, let alone Manchester yeah. United. 2023. 
do Manchester United win a title in the time that David De Gea's contract oh, is up? Man, is that a tough question. I mean, listen, not on the, the track they're on right now. This, ho- hopefully for Manchester United, look at Solskjaer, and, and maybe this and Paul Pogba saying, these are a couple building blocks with yeah. the youth that they can build towards competing. They'll want to. Yeah. At that point, they, it, they should. If the manager, yeah, if, if everything goes according to plan, this rebuild uh, goes really, really well, they... they um, they want to, but I still think it's difficult. It's, it's a yeah. lot of work to do at Man United right now. The whole Pep's not around anymore. Exactly, yeah. And Klopp. <laughs> yeah, right. Tough competition yeah. at the yeah. top, though. But as we've seen this week, anything can happen on any given week. So, nil-nil at Villa Park. I almost got the feeling, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Robbie, that mm. when West Ham went down, one man playing with ten men, they almost went to another level, it yeah. seemed like, at that point. Yeah, I think from West Ham's point of view, really good personality. You know, that's what I was a little bit worried about them for tonight with the, with the Villa pressure and the atmosphere, et cetera, et cetera, that they might go under, if you like. But Manless worked very, very hard. Allaire was, was brilliant up front, really holding the ball up and, and Fornals came on to give him some energy on the right-hand side. So I was impressed with their durability, really, the difficult night and had a couple of sniffs, Kyle, where they could have nicked it at the end as well. For Aston Villa, it's just, they're in this tough point that, that you see teams that will eventually struggle with, with a relegation fight of good performances that, that, that don't accrue points. I remember uh, the first season Burnley came into the Premier League and then got relegated on, on a season where they performed so well in so many games and just walked away empty-handed with these like moral victories. And what's tough is you would hate that Aston Villa would doubt what they're capable of and, and lose that they're just, it's right there. It's it's just right a, there. Yeah, it's just a couple of moments, a couple of right plays. I mean, Mings had an incredible match. Grealish was all over the place. Yep. But again, again, dangerous. It's just... Where, you hope, where, where, are we you they can, where are we heading here? I mean, eventually they get too pragmatic and don't believe themselves, and then you're just scrapping every game, and, and you hope they get the win they need soon to, to justify good performances to stick with it. I'll follow on that. Good goalkeeper, good defenders, Mings is a brilliant player, midfield players, Ahmed. It's not easy to get good, silky, clever midfield players. They've got them. Striker. Yeah. Striker. Especially with all the money they spent. They spent a lot of money and lots of new players coming in. And he's, he's kept a, a structure of a team which is, which is good to not too many changes. Wesley. I said it from day one. There's a lot of responsibility on Wesley to get goals. Jonathan Codger's out with a, with a fractured cheekbone. Young uh, Davies came on there, 21-year-old striker. They haven't got That's enough attacking options. This yeah. is at home. A man extra. Al Mohamedy comes on. Douglas Suiz comes on as a midfield player. Attacking options off the bench. As well as Wesley... Not looking Premier League level at the moment is their worry. Everything else is good. That does it for this edition of the Premier League on NBC Podcast. Be sure to check out other episodes where you'll get a collection of our most spirited in-studio debates as well as exclusive on-site access. Plus, don't miss out on Premier League mornings on weekends at 7 a.m. Eastern on NBCSN. I'm Rebecca Lowe. Bye for now. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.